This morning, our message is from the book of Acts. I want to start off in Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28 and verse 18, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to to observe all things that I have commanded, commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, of course, these verses are commonly referred to as the Great Commission. It's interesting to see the difference in wording. In the King James, it has, go therefore and teach all nations. The New King James and the ESV have, uh, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And the word translated here, to teach or make disciples, means basically to teach or to instruct, it's a different word from what we see in verse 20, uh, teaching, uh, a different word altogether, but with a similar meaning. Teaching them to deserve, to observe all things. And there's something given in the statement here that should be obvious, but it's implied. If they are teaching, that means they are there are learners. Because they wouldn't be teaching nobody. They wouldn't be speaking these truths to no one listening. And so those who will hear, those who are the learners, are being taught by the apostles, by the disciples. So the key here is that disciples are are learners. You can only make disciples by teaching. And in verse 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. Now this is certainly more than a a calling or sending out a series of traveling evangelistic crusaders. In fact, as we will continue on in Acts chapter 11, we'll find that Paul and Barnabas went to Antioch and they stood there, stayed there uh, for at least one year. Now, uh, our, there are two reasons why I bring these verses up to begin with. Uh, first is, I heard uh, over the last couple of weeks someone teaching that, that Jesus commands us to win nations to him. Well, that's not what is commanded. Uh, when Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of, uh, the word of is easily understood as from. Make disciples from all the nations. And that gives us then the second reason as well. Jesus was clear when he said nations It's the same as in John 3, 16, when he said world. It means Jews and Gentiles. Again, as we read in Mark 16 and verse 15, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Now, he's not talking about going to trees and plants and talking to them. He's talking about all mankind. 
all mankind, Jews and Gentiles alike. And in light of what we saw last week and what we will see again this week, there remains to some degree a confusion as the early church begins a hazy recollection of what Jesus said. There were some who didn't remember or fully understand the words of Jesus. We have seen that even Peter had over time forgotten to the extent of the scope of the command that Jesus had given. And the Lord, by use of a vision, caused Peter to see the error of his ways. For he had held on to the ancient prejudice that he was only to associate with his own people, with just Jews. And when we, we noticed how Peter had seen the work of grace on the Gentiles that he was preaching to, and that great work of God uh, was reported to those of the circumcision in Jerusalem and Judea, that Peter had been with the Gentiles. You remember, they took issue with him. They contended, criticized, and complained and quarreled with him. <clears throat> so Peter explained to them very calmly all that had taken place. And he kind of puts a bow on it in chapter 11, verses 16 through 18. When he said, then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And if therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? So then, verse 18, those who had been quarreling, criticizing, complaining about him. When they heard these things, they became silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. I heard a motivational speaker one time Say, well, you know, just a handful of men turned the world upside down. And the thing that first came to mind is, yes, after they figured out what the world was. In our passage beginning at verse 19 today. Now those that were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they had come to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Our passage then picks up from what was written in chapter 8 and verse 4. After Stephen was killed, many 
believers fled Jerusalem. And as we noted back then, when they fled, they did not disperse to silence. And as we come to chapter 11 and 19, we pick up again with the account of those who left Jerusalem. And as we read this, we see an ever-expanding reach of the gospel. Now, some people would have probably staunchly said, hey, we're here in Jerusalem, and no matter what happens, we are going to stay here, and we're going to preach the gospel, and if they kill us, so be it. And people say, yes, these are great men of faith. And then they would look at the others who scattered and said, oh, what a bunch of wimps. Where's your faith, man? Well, faith is not foolish. These believers left Jerusalem in fear of their lives. That is to avoid danger. Jesus stayed away from Jerusalem for a while because of how hot things had gotten there. But they, they left to avoid danger, but not to avoid service. Those who scattered found a, a greater field of service and opportunity. There was, however, one problem, as we, we see here. There in verse 19, they came and traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but Jews only. Well, that's a, that's a problem. That's an issue. That's something that will be dealt with. They had missed that important command, one that we had read. And instead of Mark 16 and verse 15 to tell the, preach the gospel to all creatures, they went to Jews only. And some would say, yes, it's possible that that old prejudice was still at work. That's very possible. But we also understand, too, that the gospel was set up to go to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. We cannot forget as well that one of the main places when Paul, Barnabas, the other uh, disciples and apostles, when they went out and went to a town, one of the first places they went to was the synagogue. Because there, uh, for a while, they were granted freedom to come in and speak. And so the first place that they would stop at would be at the synagogues. So like in, in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, we find Paul making this statement. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God, the salvation to everyone who believes. For the Jew first, and also for the Greek. And in chapter 2 and verse 9, he would say, Tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first, and also of the Greek. In verse 10, for there... Uh, but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. But verse 20 tells us that in contrast to the ones who are going specifically to the Jews, 
Verse 20 of chapter 11 says, But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they had come to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. But, this is in contrast, that's introducing contrast. Those from Cyprus, that would have been Greece. Those from Cyrene, which would have been North Africa. North Africa, to those who want to say that Christianity is a white man's religion, it's coming out of North Africa, okay? Some people ought to study geography before they make statements. They came to the Hellenists. Now, these are Greek speakers. And to some extent, they can be Greek-speaking Jews. But they can also be a reference here to speaking to the Gentiles. Well, they came preaching the Lord Jesus, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Well, how did it happen? What was the key to their success? That's something we highlighted last week and now in evidence here as well. They came with the word, preaching the word. I wonder often how that this is missed in much of evangelical Christianity. It seems quite regularly a movie, a dramatic series, and to some degree, even some Bible paraphrase comes out and the people rave about it. I was viewing a discussion the other day online and uh, this series, The Chosen, came up. And someone had a list of things that the show had Jesus saying or others saying or doing. It was not in the Bible. And in some cases ran counter to what was in the Bible. But I was amazed to see how some of them so quickly came to the defense of that and would say things like, how do you know he didn't say this or that? And they were quick to jump to John chapter 20 and verse 30 to 31. So we need to read that just to see what it's what they're pointing to John chapter 20 verse 30 31 and truly Jesus did many other things in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the son of God and believing you may have life in his name so they're using that as their 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 basis for people coming up with things that maybe Jesus said, maybe he didn't say. But these verses, they're not a permission slip to give the authority to fill in the supposed blanks. Screenwriters are not apostles. They are not led by the Holy Spirit to write, quote, new gospels. Their writings 
are not God breathed. And some will say, well, it's very possible he said these things. And again, yes, it's possible he did not. That's why the Gospels were written by witnesses. First John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Again, extremely important for us to understand in the midst of, of the attacks on the Word of God. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. <clears throat> that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you may have fellowship with us and truly, our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. The first thing that has to come up and has to be addressed on something like that is for those who think there are gaps in the Word of God. There are no gaps. There are things that aren't in there but they're specifically not in there because God chose not to put them in there because they're not necessary. But yet, the fallen nature of man says, yeah, but I want to look under the tent. I want, I want to find out this little thing. Why didn't he tell us this? Why didn't he tell us that? Because he's got so many things here for you to see, to learn, and to understand that to say, okay, you know, it's like going to someone's house and they, I hope there's no vegans here. Someone lays out beautiful prime rib done just right with beautiful potatoes and carrots and, and green beans. I'm hungry. I'll see you later. And you look at it and you say, you got any pork chops? He lays out this beautiful banquet of, in his word of his truth and people say, yeah, but what about this? Well, have you gone through and have you seen everything that's in here? Well, no, I haven't. And that's a problem. That's a big problem and it exists. It has always existed. Yes, you can say, well, Jesus was a historical figure, but he's also God. And if you want to do a dramatic presentation of George Washington, you are welcome to do it. If you want to use his diaries as the basis for the dialogue that you come up with on that, excellent. That's fine. But please, do not put words in the mouth of God. Do not cast Jesus as some kind of a work of a writer's imagination. People say, well, you know, it's a dramatic presentation. There should be poetic license. No, there shouldn't. There, there can be in so many things. But these are the issues of life. This is the truth of God. And therefore, no one has poetic license. That has to be clear because that's been so lost in this whole idea. 
And the whole idea of the sufficiency of Scripture goes completely out the window because, hey, we watched The Chosen, and now I feel closer to Jesus. Oh, you do. What Jesus do you feel closer to? The one of the Bible or the one of the writers? This was, this was one of the, the major issues in the Protestant Reformation in dealing with Roman Catholicism. Popes could say things and it was like Jesus saying them. Statues could be erected and artwork developed showing and saying, well, the people are illiterate. And so therefore, we need these helps to help them. If people are illiterate, you know what you do for them? You either teach them to read or you read to them. But you don't invent things. Every single statue that's ever been erected is wrong because you don't have the image to work with in the first place. And even worse, if they try to do that of Christ. We've been down that road before. So why am I, I saying all this? Well, if we go back to Acts 11 and verse 21, notice, and the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number believed and turned to the Lord. The hand of the Lord was with these men. Why? Because they trusted God. They trusted his word. And that's all they brought was his word. Now, turn with me for a moment to Second Peter chapter one. Second <coughs> Peter chapter one, verse sixteen. Notice what Peter says. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We did not come to you with cunningly devised fables. The ESV, I think, even gets it even closer. We didn't come to you with cunningly devised myths. See, everything that comes from the mind of a man is a myth. From the imagination of man is the foundation of myths. Every myth begins its life in the imagination of man. These men, they left Jerusalem for safety reasons due to hostility towards Christ. And they came to new cities, proclaiming the very thing that might have cost them their lives there in Jerusalem. And we read, and the hand of God was with them. And a great number believed. As Matthew Henry says, they were enlightened and enlisted under the banner of Christ. They believed and turned to the Lord. Let's take a quick look at this for a moment. Do 
verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them. The hand of the Lord, what do we understand that as being? The hand of God. God the Father. And a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Who do we understand there? The Lord Jesus Christ. The same title given to the Father, given to the Son. I, I say this because there are people who, who are running around today saying, you know, the deity of Christ was never brought up in the early church. It was those councils that came hundreds of years later. No, no, the deity of Christ is right here. It's clearly in the Word. The same title given to the Father is given to the Son. That says it all. Well, they, many believed and turned to the Lord. How did it happen? What were the means? The means were the Word of God. That great passage that speaks of Christ in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 1 says, Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The arm of the Lord is Jesus. The report is the report of Jesus, of who he is. Well, here's the answer. Those who heard the word and believed. These believed and they turned to the Lord. What does it mean to turn to the Lord? Well, it means to rely on the righteousness of Christ. The righteousness by which that comes to us by faith. To trust Christ, not only for our forgiveness, but for our righteous standing before God. Now, for the Jews that were converted, it's important for us to see that so many would come to the temple. In fact, for all Jewish men, there were three, four times a year that they had to come to the temple to show themselves. And especially at those times, there were great processions. All the steps up to the temple, all the working going up to the hill because you had to climb a hill to get there. You go up the stairs. They're singing psalms as they go up the, the hill. You've got the, you've got the Levitical choirs. You've got the orchestra, the, the instruments that are playing. And sometimes there's, there's a hundred of those instruments. What a sound it must have made. And what a procession. And you've got the priests coming and they're all adorned in their priestly garments and with the accoutrements of the priesthood. And what a show. Now you come into the temple. It's beautiful. I mean, outside you've got all the gold inlay and outlay of covering the, the, the plating, covering the, the stones. You've got it glistening in the sunlight. And you come inside and now the singers reverberate through the walls, off the walls of the, the temple. And, it's, and you've got the smoke and the altars and everything going on in there. And it's an amazing thing of, of sight and sound and smell. Here these Jews who are presented simply the word of God. And they are converted. 
Now we have to ask the question, why was this such a spectacle? Well, you say, God deserved the best that people gave and, and all that worship. But why did they have to add all the instruments and the smoke of the incense and all the things that visually stimulated the people? Why were these things necessary? Because the lesson that was constantly being taught every time they came in, every time they offered sacrifices, every time the altar was, of incense was lit, every time this happened, it was showing them that their worship was not acceptable by themselves. You had to have all these other things to make. So what was that teaching? That they needed Christ. Because after Christ, you don't need the horns. You don't need the things that sounded like uh, bagpipes and, and the other things. And you didn't need the Levitical choir anymore because you had the Holy Spirit. And what I'm saying, and it's been said before, and it's not so much a danger here, but all around us, and it's... In, object or, or necessity of the shepherd to, to give warning to the sheep, every time you see these great spectacles of worship, you're finding that what it is is you don't have a trust in the Holy Spirit anymore, so you've got to add all these other things to try to make up for the vacancy. And for the most part, a good portion of those who call themselves Christians have given up on the Word of God. I'm planning to do a, one of our our lunch Bible studies on well, am I a bad Christian if I don't read my Bible every day? There are some people who say, you're not reading your Bible today? What's wrong with you? Don't you love God? Don't you love his word? There are some people when some people will say, look, it's too hard for me to understand. And in the world in which we live, where so much, and, and this is not a, a slam against our education system, it's the people in the higher places that tolerate such things and are so more, much more interested in someone getting gender affirm, affirmation than learning how to, to read on a certain level and caring actually for the student rather than their own personal agenda. But yeah, a lot of Americans are illiterate functionally. And many have only a third grade level of reading. We understand that. So what do we do? We stop reading, right? We stop it. Or we, or we dumb down the word of God so much that it's, that it's at a Dick and Jane level. See Jesus. See Peter. See John. See Peter run. You can't do that with the Word of God. And it's not like a textbook. It is the Word of God. So it's a, the reading of the Word of God is aided by the Spirit of God. There can be people who are dyslexic, have trouble reading. That's all right. Read to them. They can hear and they can understand. This is how the, the gospel was you see these men that they come into town 
These people don't have Bibles. These men are not saying, turn to 1 Peter. Turn to the Gospel of Matthew. They're not saying that. But they're speaking the Word of God because it's in their, their head, in their hearts. It's on their lips. And so they're able to, to come forth and they, they speak these words and the people came. Not because, if you notice, what's one thing that we notice about these men? It should stand out really big. It tells us where they came from. But you know what it doesn't tell us? Their names. We don't see a single name listed here. And the important thing about that is because it's not about the person. It's not the one bringing the gospel. It's all about the gospel. And by the way, when the gospel is presented, the presenter shouldn't be the one that the people are looking at. It would be Christ that they're looking at. The simple presentation of the word of God. And so these Jews turn from show and ceremony to spirit and truth. All the show was to point them their need of something else. It is my prayer that for each and every one of us we understand that this is the word of God. It's not the work of a Hollywood screenwriter. It's not out of the imaginations of men. And there's actually a curse for adding on and taking away from the word of God. And so when you see these presentations as they are and people are putting words into our Savior's mouth the first thing ought to come to mind is I guess they don't believe that Jesus said enough which means they haven't spent time looking at what Jesus said everything for life and salvation direction and godliness is here. We need look nowhere else. Let's stand together for prayer.